0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Save the Track Bike. I'm your host, Josh. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to make a quick pitch to go to SavetheTrackBike.com, click on store, and go buy some stuff and support this podcast. And also, this podcast is supported by Hexagon Cycles. So go to HexagonCycles.com, use the code STTB, and that will also help grow this podcast. I'm not going to take up too much of your time up here because today's kind of a long episode. But, you know, you can listen to it in two parts if you want. First, we have a quick conversation with James Grady covering Mission Crit that happened about two weeks ago. We have a longer conversation with Gabe Lloyd of Red Hook Crit. I couldn't be at either of the races, so I really appreciate these guys for coming on and talking about the races so we can fill you in on the stories that you may have missed and the stories that I missed for sure. So, yeah, Uh, let's just get into it. All right, I'm here with James Grady of Mission Crit. Uh, Mission Crit just happened this past weekend. By the time you hear this, it'll be two weekends ago. And I just wanted to go over what happened with the day. Like, how did the event go off? And I really wish I could have been there, but I followed, you know, all the stories on Instagram and and followed, uh, watched the live stream and all that stuff. And I just wanted to get your take on how the day went and some of the stories from the day.
1: Yeah. Well, um, thanks for, for not coming. We were, we we're waiting to start. we were waiting for you to show up to start the race. Uh, <laughs> so we ended up starting quite a bit later than expected. Oh man. Um, because you, you, you didn't text me until it was, you know, well after the time that we needed to start the cargo bike race. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, so I've been telling people, uh, so, so overall, the day went um, incredibly well. All the feedback that I've been getting is, has been really, really positive. Um, and everybody seems to have had just a, a really great time. Um, there were some hiccups with uh, some issues getting people through the, the timing chip pickup. There were some, some crashes in the men's race uh, that were kind of a bummer, but uh, everybody is fine. And everybody got their timing chips. And so overall, I think it was a really successful event. And everybody is super stoked and looking to, you know, it's a, a perfect way to to roll into Red Hook.
0: Following the stories and hearing people's comments, like, afterwards and stuff, like, it seemed like a really positive experience for most. Um, and I kind of want to get into what happened during the the women's races because there were some cool stories that seemed to play out through the day where like, you know, Tegan was out there and won her heat and then, you know, the <laughs> Kim non stop on the front, you know, just kind of leading the pace for her teammate and just seeing everything play out. It was just really cool.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was um, I thought it was really incredibly compelling to watch the women's race. Uh, Tegan was Doing really well. Uh, you mentioned her first, so I'll, I'll start there. She was doing really well. She lost the first lap preem by centimeters. Um, I've got the, I've got the, the slow motion video of that and it's, it's so close. It's so <laughs> close, but we had to call it for who is it, Sammy Runnels. Uh, she, she narrowly edged her out uh tegan was doing really well but unfortunately she got a mechanical bumped into sammy Runnels and ended up breaking some spokes i'm not sure exactly when they collided but uh she had to had to come out of the race with uh, 10 to go i believe kim was up there she was doing a lot of work i think the women were working incredibly well together everybody put in uh incredible work and i don't think that anybody has anything to be upset about if they didn't get the, the position that they wanted or the result that they wanted. Cause they just had such a good, good race.
0: Yeah. I mean, even like sitting at home, watching the live stream, it was really compelling and really cool to just see how everything played out and see the teamwork and the tactics playing out. And and so I want to talk a little bit about um, the podium. So who was up there
1: So coming in, we did a five D coming in fifth was Ash Dubin with the meteor. Hey, LA. It's a new team this year. Coming in fourth is perennial crowd favorite, Christina Peck. She got, what did she come in last year? She was, yeah, she was second last year and the year before. And she doesn't even, she doesn't, she doesn't, uh, ride bikes that much anymore that's what she says and she pulled out a fourth at mission at this mission crit if she puts in some time in the saddle next year she's going to be i would say that she could uh, take the top spot finally once and for all and then she could retire <laughs> um coming in third was nicole mertz uh she's also on the meteor Hale. a that team was really super strong because it's a uh, Sammy Ash and Nicole and they just, uh, that's, that's like a dream team right there. They're going to be ones to watch in Brooklyn. Well, I guess now that this isn't going to be broadcast until two weeks after or a week after. So I guess it doesn't matter. Um, I could be wrong or I could predict it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, so coming in second was Carla Nafria with specialized rocket espresso Uh, And then first was Esther Walker with the Aventon factory team. I think that's why Kim was putting in so much work was, uh, was working for her teammate.
0: Yeah. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Teamwork just kind of like played into the whole story of the night. I think just going into the men's race now too, just watching specialized rocket espresso, just like blow that race out. (laughs) They were just like, I was messaging with Gus afterwards and just like, even on the live stream, it looked insanely fast. And it was, it
1: like... was it, it was stupid. Like on their um Well, first of all, Justin called it. He said he was going for the first lap cream, and, and got it. Um, it, it's just, when they took off, everybody who was around just turned to each other and said, that they're flying. They're going so fast. Um, I want to find some people's Strava records To see what that first lap was like um, But it Like I'm, I'm looking at the times And it was just insane
0: Yeah it just seems so rare To usually see like such a I mean usually The first lap is explosive But then seeing it like never let up
1: <laughs> Like, Yeah they were driving the pace The entire time uh, Rocket Espresso has their stuff together They were definitely working. I think, I think the plan was to work for Stefan. Uh, He walked off with 17, with 17 laps remaining. And a couple laps later, David Santos put in a, a huge dig and was able to bridge. And then it was just the two of them working all night. And they, they were able to put some time in on the field and then maintain that gap for the entirety of the race. And they just, if you watch the live stream and then on the last lap, you can see them on the back side. Like they look back four or five times and there's just nobody there. <laughs> and they, I don't think that they could believe it, yeah. but the, the rocket espresso did an incredible job controlling the race. Uh, uh, Alec was up there a bunch and, and Gus was, uh, was doing a really good job, um, controlling the fronts as well you mentioned the race was off to just banging stars it was full gas from the get-go. Uh, the field broke apart pretty quickly. Uh, but that is kind of the nature of the the course because from the start line, you go straight into a hairpin. And if you're not on the front, you know, if you're like middle to back of the pack, you know, it's unfortunate that there's probably not going to be any catching up. Um, you know, that, that'll, that'll be something that I can see if I can remedy, uh, in years coming, but, you know, there's very little I can do with the, the configuration because of the, the limitations of the streets. Um, but it was, uh, you know, we shed, they shed a lot of riders from the, from the very beginning, but there was a pretty big group for the first, uh, 13, 13 laps I want to say there was about 25 or 30 riders and they were all sticking together really well um there was a was there a group that went off the front I would have to look back at the live stream um it's not fresh in my mind but uh there was a bit of
0: a group that went off the front for sure
1: yeah and that was like five or six riders yep or maybe, maybe even more. Yeah, there was a, a group that went off the front for a little bit, but then the chase group caught them, caught back. Um, and that's the point, of, if I remember correctly, which I don't, um, that's the point at which, uh, Stefan just, just walked away from the group. Um, and he is so good at that. And the, we were talking about the specialized team is so good at being a team. And they were able to control the the, the chase group very effectively. Uh, they did let David go, uh, which was interesting. I'd have to go back and watch it again to see if uh, that was accidental or um, if they just didn't care. Maybe they let him out so that Stefan would have somebody to work with. Um, but <clears throat> that group was really strong. Uh, there was a large chunk of time where I didn't – riders they were all pretty cohesive and even the people who were off the back uh, dangling, they started working together. Um, but then it came down with, you know, like eight laps to go. I had to pull a large group of people, um, you know, that included, uh, you know, a, bun- a bunch of big names like uh, Dante Young and Zach Morvant, um, Chris Tolley, um, uh, fan favorite, Rob Hoopty Evans was also pulled with that group. Uh, unfortunately his, his race ended there, but I heard from him that he had a wonderful time, which is all I care about. Um, so we had a lap, go, and there were, um, Addison, uh, unfortunately, I, I think he crashed and he was pulled with six to go or his race ended with six to go. Um, and so then we had, you know, a fairly large group of about 16 riders who ended up finishing the race. Uh, it was incredibly, exciting. you know, once David and Stefan, Stefan, sorry, um, made their way off the front, there was no looking back. Um, and so we ended up with a podium that was Ed Murphy, who's number five rides for MASH. Number four, uh, in fourth place, is Brandon Fahiri, and I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, and He's a guy from Stan Ridge that you are talking about. Number three, Justin Williams, uh, a certainly favorite for Red Hook uh, this coming weekend, or if you're listening to this podcast a week ago. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that he is definitely, he can find himself in the break, but he he will wait for the sprint, right? Like, he he will – he's very smart and shrewd as a racer, and he's going to let other people work for him. Um, number two, of course, was uh, David Santos, who was uh, – God, third last year? I'm sorry. I'm tired. Uh, and number one was Stefan Schaefer with Specialized Rocket Espresso, who put in a tremendous – a, a tremendous race. I'm sure that he thought nothing of it. I don't know if he was if his pulse was raised at all uh, at the end of the race. It might have been up like a beat or two. But just one cool customer, you know?
0: Yeah, he was riding in zone two the whole time, you know? Seriously. I mean, you know,
1: it was just, just another day for him. He's like, oh, this is good. I'm going to go out for a ride after this.
0: <laughs> one of the things when you put on an event is like trying to take in the good moments. What was your favorite moment from the day? Uh,
1: what, my biggest regret from last year was not riding the course at all. So this year I brought my bike, you know, to to get around as well as to make it a point to ride the course. And so between the women's final and the men's final, I was able to take a lap when they were getting on the course and getting ready to to line up, and it was just it was so much fun and. I totally get why people like riding that course cuz up until that point it had just been in my mind that oh this would be a really fun course to ride and unfortunately day to day with the you know the city streets there's a bunch of cars so you you can ride it but you can't really let it loose you know and so I got to ride it and it was just it was a lot of fun and so that moment certainly stands out But, yeah, also getting to see everybody and and just, like, see how stoked everybody was on the race is also a really good feeling. And seeing the community come together for an event like this was was really rad.
0: Cool. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to do this.
1: Yeah, Josh. Thank you.
0: All right. You all know Gabe Lloyd from Red Hook Crit. He's here again, and we're going to talk about uh, this year's race, which just, which just happened this last weekend. So, uh, yeah. How was it?
2: Yeah. Hey, Josh. It was really great this past weekend, honestly. One of the best weekends of racing that we've had uh, in Brooklyn, for sure, just because I think of the new course design was really interesting. So... It it made everybody have to learn everything all over again. And then we also had a whole lot of really new uh, talented athletes coming out and they made the racing really, really exciting all day long. So yeah, it was, it was a really tremendous experience for sure.
0: Yeah. So what were some of the stories from
2: the night? Sure. Well, I, I think the, most interesting storylines really came out of the fact that how different the women's and men's races played out in the finals. Um, Yeah. Let's start with the women's race. Yeah, sure. I mean, the women's race, honestly, was the one of the best we've seen from an aggressive standpoint. I think that the race last year in Milan was really interesting and You know, the story I told last time I was on Save the Track bike about Ash Dubin and Ainara El Busto going head to head in Barcelona number five, that's a great story as well. But in this race at Brooklyn number 11 this year, uh, it was full gas from the beginning in the feature, And that was, it was so great to see that type of experience. Teamwork and individual aggression and responsiveness and nobody willing to to let up and nobody really really looking at somebody else to do the work. The women were really just crushing it. I I mean, myself and um, I got to co-commentate with my friend Brad Soner, and Brad calls really big races in America. He does tour of California, tour of Utah. He'll be doing tour of Colorado this year. Um, he's done stuff for NBC. He's done world championships. And Brad, with all that experience, he told me after the race, he was like, Oh my God, dude, that was the coolest race I've ever seen. And I a hundred percent agree because right from the beginning, I'm not and Margot Vigi were, so, so aggressive. They both ride for Santa Fix CBLB London. And the two of them in those yellow skin suits were just the two little uh, bees off the front, if you will, just <laughs> making life miserable for everybody else right from the beginning. And it was so cool to see Inata have a teammate that really reflected the style of racing that Inata has shown a preference for in the past. And VG last year was good, but never this good. I mean, Margo really stepped up her game this year, and maybe it helped by having some real direction from somebody like Inata. just being, like, clearly they had a team meeting that was just like, you're going to go first, I'm going to counter, and we're just going to keep hitting this race until one of us gets away. Because, you know, we're looking at at our race notes and we're getting all the way to like six, seven, eight laps into the race and they're continuing to throw multiple attacks off the front, um, which is just really phenomenal to see. And then later on in the race, um, Inata got tangled up with Elena Valentini, in turn number eight, which was a really interesting turn. It was shaped almost like a teardrop, and they sort of rode downhill into it, and then you sort of hit the turn, drop, teardrop turning right and start to come back uphill. And Ainara told me after the race that she, if you watch, like, um, Virginia Cancellieri's social media right now she has a video on there and I think Elena also posted it on her social media Um, you can see on the right side of the screen that El Busto is the one with the yellow top and it looks like she's almost riding into the back wheel of the rider in front of her and Inada told me that uh, she thought that the speed of the girl in front of her was slowing down a lot and she was trying to get out of there but she said that when she tried to turn left to get off of it her front wheel hit the rear wheel of the rider in front of her forcing her to lose control and unfortunately she went right into Valentini and so basically your two very predominant race favorites fell out of it right away so that sort of changed the team tactics a bit here but it was awesome to see that then we had Aventon factory cycling team with Lisa Warner and Esther Walker um, riding in such phenomenal support for Eleonora Sariva. Um, Sariva last year was our series champion, and she was she definitely has a wicked sprint on her. So to see Warner and Esther Walker go after the front of the race and sort of take control back was, was really interesting. And there are so many other, like, nuances and details in there that, Just to see that back and forth play out, I thought was really, really fantastic, for sure.
0: So what did the podium end up looking like?
2: Yeah, so the women's podium ended up with uh, a really interesting uh, sort of sprint situation where, so everything that I just described, is sort of like the first half of the race. And part of that was this really, there was this moment where Margot Vg was off the front, and that was she was away when a crashed. So Vg was was away, but then she didn't have a teammate to help cover in the middle. So when Avington took over, um, they brought Vg back, but then Walker went, and then Lisa Warner covered, and then it was it turned into Specialized Rocket Espresso's turn to take over control, and both Rafael Lemieux, who was the winner last year in London. Um, And Carla Nefria took over, and there's just the two of them, and they really did an awesome job um, countering sort of the team tactics that were going on with uh, Aventon Factory Cycling. And there were other riders that sort of mixed it up in there as well, like Lena Vogel got in there for a hot second. Um, Sammy Fox is a rider from Philadelphia. She was actually riding for a Swedish team a team of Schindler Hall or Gates. (laughs) Um, That's a mouthful for me. Uh, Michelle DeGraff got up there as well. Nicole Mertz from the Meteor HLA, And then um, Ash Dubin was up there. So we had a lot of really strong women uh, going for it. But we shouldn't forget Georgia Fragheri was also up there. So all these attacks taking place from all these women from all around the world – really going for it Uh, but uh, when we got to the the last few laps we were back together with a group of uh, 16 women a super reduced field the effort by Carla Nefria in particular to bring back Esther Walker just absolutely shattered the group and everybody was just wrecked after that Um, but Lemieux did an amazing job recovering at speed in the peloton and waited for the last two laps to really take over and she she was really at or near the front with one to go and she rode the top half of the course which was a series of six turns right in a row so she took control there and then when they dropped down through seven down into eight in that teardrop Lemieux again was on the front and Um, She really just, she told me that she just accelerated out of turn number eight all the way back up, and only uh, a few riders were able to stick with her, which is amazing. If you look at the finishing photos, LaMia clearly has a, a comfortable gap. But what I thought was so fantastic was that a first-time red-hook crit rider was a French woman. She's only 20 uh, year, twenty or 21 years old. Uh, Melanie Guidon, she, she is her first red-hook crit ever, and she rode that race really well tactically. And she ended up second. And then Margot Vigie, uh, who had been attacking from lap one, she was away by herself she won the mid race or she won the first lap cream um she was super super active throughout the rest of the race she recovered and ended up third wrapping out the podium uh out kicking ash dubin out kicking lisa warner uh sammy fox michelle Degroff. ashley Fay was up there in eighth position it was great to see ashley getting back into some form that she had in 2016 Walker was ninth, and then Nicole Mertz in her first Red Hook Crit rounded out tenth. So those top ten were were super, super impressive because then they also shuffled down other really strong riders like Kira McVitie was back. She got 12th, and then last year's series champion Eleonora Sarriva, she was all the way down in 13th right ahead of Georgia Fraghetti. Um The fact that those two women were down in 13th and 14th shows just how deep uh, the 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 skill and the speed of the women really went this year. So just an absolutely phenomenal race all around. Really, really, really cool to be a part of that.
0: No, I'm so, I wish I could have <laughs> been there.
2: Just like yeah, seeing all the yeah. coverage,
0: seeing all the posts throughout the day. It's just like, you know, you're like, I should fly right now. I could probably make it before the final. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, there's other subcontext stories in there too, man, if I really want to rub it in. I mean, like Colleen Gulick, she won last year's race, and when Carla Nefria went to the front to drive the pace to bring back Esther Walker, Gulick was on the wrong side of a split, and she missed it. Like She missed that front selection, and Gulick came in 17th place, and that was actually winning the second group sprint. So Gulick, who is a really talented athlete, and it looked like she had some legs. Tactically, she really didn't ride it very well, um, and she ended up completely missing it, which goes to show you, I think this is such an amazing thing about fixed-gear crit racing, is that because the format is so short, right, and the courses are designed specifically by David Trimble to maximize rider skill set so you have to be able to slow down the bike as much as you speed it up Um, when there are new courses and there are courses that favor the the full uh skill set of a track bike rider and a fixed gear crit racer riders like past champions Colleen Gulick can get caught out and um that's exactly why we race you know like we don't Nobody's a winner until we get to that last lap, and I, I really, really love that aspect of this sport.
0: Yeah, what were you saying were some of the biggest surprises in the women's race?
2: Uh, I mean, really, that podium was really surprising. Right off the bat, seeing Margot VG being so aggressive and so good um, was was really eye-opening because I remember last year, Margot was, was fit, but she wasn't so of, like, much of a factor on the on the overall race. Um, first-time racers were really interesting. Melanie Guidon getting second place, riding for T-Red Factory Racing Team. I mean, a lot of times athletes take a few races to get their feet wet. Like even last year, Rafael Ligneux, who turned out to be a phenomenal racer, she got fours. Um, so for a first-time racer to get second, that was awesome to see. Lisa Warner, um, she was great. Uh, you know, again, same sort of story as VG. Last year, really strong, but wasn't really affecting the front of the race. Warner was, I mean, I know she's a former Olympian. She went to the Rio Olympics for the Netherlands in rowing. So she clearly has an engine in her. But this year she figured out how to uh, put some skills to that engine, and it was really apparent um, so, yeah, I mean, just like some stories like that were interesting. I'd like to add another story if we got time, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, Georgia Frageri, Uh she got 14th right behind Eleonora Sariva, but Frageri has won some races in Italy. Frageri, um was – this is the first time that she was really challenged, I think, in a fixed-gear crit and it really showed like she she was very patient in the beginning of the race and then sort of around the mid race preen she began to show herself and she was much more aggressive but then when she couldn't get away and sort of take control you could tell that she was a little um shocked by that in a way and that's i say that only because she was um the races that i've seen in italy she 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 was just racing one or two other women at her level but when she had literally 15 other women around her pack positioning became so much more crucial for her to uh, figure out and um, not having that experience in the redhead crit where you're forced to really know how to race at a high level um it was interesting to see a woman who has already found success in other races to to um, struggle a little bit because she was, she was out of her comfort zone. So I thought that was a really interesting um, display of the international depth and appeal of, of our race this year.
0: So who are some of the riders that we should have seen up there at the top that you think just had a bad day?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I, you know, there's, there are a few riders that just got caught out with bad luck. In the feature race itself. So, Inara Albusto El and Elena Valentini, I was really excited to see how those two women would affect the final sprint and be a challenge to a rider like uh, Rafael Lemieux. Lemieux, such an amazing personality, but also such an amazing talent winning from this race. I do think that somebody like Albusto would have forced a different type of sprint. And I was also really interested to see how Valentini would sort of be another Italian voice in the peloton that maybe somebody like a, a Georgia Fragheri would have responded to um, and known that she had an asset. And so there was that, um, you know, there there is actually, I was watching on YouTube today, Juliet Elliott, had really bad luck this year um she was she 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 felt like she was crashed out of the qualifier and in doing that juliet didn't have an opportunity to race in the future and the emotion that she displayed in her youtube video i thought was really honest and really reflective of what she thought she had potential to do
0: yeah i just Um, watched that and that part where she's like uh i just really care about racing You know, I was just like, dang, she just really put herself out there. That was amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that honesty is really important to remember that passion really drives the top end of of our Peloton still. You know, these women aren't here to, quote unquote, do a job. You know, they're here because they want to be and that doing well here means something to them. So, you know, but it is sport and sport has it's it's a double edged sword, you know, for all the Lemieux or other champions that are in the race who have a great day, it's balanced maybe karmically or whatever you want to think about it by those who have bad luck. And unfortunately Juliet is one of those who who would fell subject to that. Um yeah, I think that's actually into, a good like, way
0: to talk about the men's uh section too is like a lot of people were asking when I was watching on the live stream Every other question was where's Colin where's Colin? Where's Colin
2: <laughs> right, yeah, so um, sure, we could definitely pivot out to the men's race. what an interesting um what an interesting night with Colin Strickland breaking his chain off the line and losing that powerhouse off off the bat, I think really just gave more power to specialized rocket espresso for the rest of the night. Um, Because that race really turned into a very different story than the women's. So where the women's race that we've been talking about so far has been about these um, small groups, right? So the teams in the women's race are about two to three. And that, that limited number of teammates, forces each individual rider to really partake in the race and it also means that individual women can really affect the race from the front um, whereas on these men's programs now we're seeing these large teams of five six riders start to employ road racing tactics in the criterium and specialized did just that and to counter that you need to have somebody like a strickland um, teaming up with guys like Evan Murphy and um, Johannes Kielsberger and Timon Soubert, Nico Knopf, um Robin Gemperle Adrian Merck Safa Wagner, like those riders those individual dudes who are in the peloton they need to become their own team in order to take on the blue train of Specialized Rocket Espresso so yeah, very different racing from the men's side for sure
0: yeah, so let's talk about that story, just how the team tactics for Specialized Rocket Espresso played out, and they ended up not not coming away with the win after it seemed like they were setting up Justin Williams for that sprint.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, we saw the first truly organized lead-out train in Red Hook Crit history. If you jump on the Red Hook Crit social media channels today, I believe... Uh, Yeah, it was today. It was posted that video that Tito cut together for us that shows those onboard camera angles. And what a great... I mean, Schaefer started it off, Briggs then took over, and uh, Williams even had a hard time holding onto the wheel of Briggs out of turn number eight. So really good team tactics, really solid dedication for that. But the upset became 14, Filippo 14, Uh, coming around him really in the final 25 meters. I mean, it was super, super late for that pass to occur. But 14, you know, he's won UCI races in Europe, and he carries a lot of fitness in, and 14 treated this very professionally. He never panicked. He waited for everybody else to do the work, but he was a master of holding his pack positioning. All throughout the night, 14 was never further back than 10th and if he did fall back that far we never saw him really uh jump out of the peloton and try to get around he would wait his time he would find the turns and carry a little bit more speed through there and manage to get himself back up where he needed to be and wanted to be very professional tactics that show a lot of discipline and uh in a way it's sort of an interesting sort of story to have a single rider like Felipe Hortin of Team Bahuma Crit Life upsetting the dominant display, this wall of blue riders throughout the night um, coming in. So there was that sort of weird, you know, that angle, that story that um, we found really interesting overall.
0: Yeah, it was really cool to see the – the pictures coming out too of just that, like of the finish line, you know, how close it was.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, you're done half a wheel right there. And Justin Williams is one of the best American sprinters to the line. So to out sprint Williams, you know, that 14 was super fit, super patient and chose the right gear for the night. Williams may have been a little undergeared, but the, may have been because he wasn't confident that he could slow the gear down through the turns throughout the night. So there are a lot of things going on there. Uh, But that's, you know, again, another, once again, a reason I love fixed gear crit racing. You make a choice in the paddock of what gear you're going to race and you're stuck with that decision and for better or for worse, you got to make it work. So 14 we know runs really big gears. On the track, it'd be an equivalent to like a 97-inch if you don't know, know what that means, that's like a forty seven thirteen. So it's just a massive, massive gear. Whereas a lot of other guys are running sort of like a fifty-one fifteen or fifty fifteen. Um, so much smaller on the gear inch chart, but it seems to work for any one of them. You know, Briggs is a great example of the complete opposite of 14. Briggs will run probably the smallest gear you can get away with on any given corner on any given course because he just loves to spin. He's got great cadence, but he also thinks that it allows him to slow down better than riding these massive gears. So to see see those two sort of mentalities being on the podium together, I think, again, represents where our sport is and represents the fact that there's no one right answer for being a fixed gear criterion specialist. You know, your own approach is often the best approach. You just got to own that decision and have complete confidence in it.
0: Yeah. One qu- one question that I had through the night was I saw just cause I was curious. I saw Angus Morton up there for a while too. And then did he ended up crashing out? Is that what happened?
2: You know, it's unclear. I do think that uh, Angus Morton went down, but I also know he was doing a lot of work towards the end of the race just to keep it under control Once attacks started to fly a little bit more than they wanted, then I think they started to just set tempo at the front. So there were some riders like Adrian Merck of Team Schindelhauer Gates out of Switzerland. Merck was really good, man. Like he was, he jumped to the front a number of times throughout the night, and it was great to see him overtake that blue train. But then, we had old school crit racers making this race happen. guys like Brian Safa Wagner of Deluxe Cycles was on the front, like going toe to toe. Evan Murphy jumped in on that action for a while. David Benard and Kyver Hohen also jumped on the front of the race and really made it hard for Specialized to do what they wanted to do. So, I think Specialized put Iman Lucas and Gus Morton on the front just to keep it fast enough that nobody else could start attacking. And that's 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 such a professional criterium tactic. If you don't like how many attacks are going up the gutter, you just ratchet up the speed until guys can't attack anymore. And But you can only do that with a deep team, right? Yeah. So five guys come in the race – but you need to have at least two left for a lead-out, and that's exactly what Specialized did. They burnt off Iman Lucas and Gus Morton. They saved Stefan Schaefer and Alec Briggs for the lead-out, and that's how, how they were able to execute their plan, whereas you have, like, Team Chanelli, I mean, David Vigano and Ivan Profioli were pretty isolated for a while, and then once it started to rain in their race, uh, Raffaele really doesn't like the rain, and fair enough, I understand that. But it, it left uh, David Vigano really, really alone, so he couldn't do anything about it. Um, David Van and Kyver Hohen did a great job sort of floating the top 10 as best they could, but they don't have enough guys in the race to, you know, set somebody on tempo on the front to take complete control overall. You know, that's just not not a card they can play so they have to sit in and wait and hope that they can out sprint somebody like a justin williams at the end
0: yeah i'm looking here at the results and i do love seeing like evan murphy up there like seeing just seeing mash up there still you know that's good that makes that yeah, warms man. my heart
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean the fact that evan is still so competitive and takes this race so seriously it's something i really love um I had the opportunity to do an interview with, with Evan before the race this year and his passion for the sport is still there. And Evan is definitely a take no shit kind of guy. Like he just like, he does not care who you are. And I think it was awesome that he had a few allies in the race that maybe weren't Mash SF. But like I said before, Safa was in there. Cooper Ray was in there um johans Kilsberger was in there i mean johans was jojo was actually on the front of our feature race for a while and that's super rad man like when you've got guys like that um william lewis being in there actually hitting the front every once in a while that's awesome like those guys are not pro bike racers through and through but you know, they're they're in there. They're hitting it hard. They're doing what they can to make the race happen. Um, I just think Specialized had such strength in numbers and such a, an experienced squad that it, it just neutralized everything else that happened, and it didn't look like such a dynamic race as the women's event.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could definitely tell there was, like, that... I think they even posted about it like the wall of blue.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That was something that Brad and I were talking about. And it was something that Brad is super familiar seeing in his line of work, calling the professional road races and criteriums, uh, around our country that seeing that sort of start to be employed. I think that's an, that's, that's sort of this weird evolution of our sport and, I I'm sort of jury's still out on whether or not I think that's good or bad. You know, I love seeing professional athletes coming in and, and being interested in fixed gear criteriums. I'm a little more mixed on whether or not I want to see full on lead out trains, but I mean, I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation. So I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting. I I'm with you where I'm kind of, I'm reading a book right now just about, like, the monuments, the classics, you know, uh, in road cycling. Mm-hmm. And just hearing about how dynamic and, like, you have no idea what's going to happen as they were compared to, like, the tactics and stuff that are employed now. It's, like, such a drastically different sport. But right. it's and still any... exciting to watch to me. But it is is it it is different. <laughs> and Right.
2: And... I think it... it... Yeah, it makes the sport more nuanced. And it's so that makes it harder for spectators to appreciate. And I think the what was cool about the women's race this year is that the attacks were obvious and the shuffling of the deck, um, maybe, uh, that means that the, the number of different people at the front of the race was obvious, whereas in the men's race, It was a number of different guys trying something, but then the blue train of specialized rocket espresso would just swamp it, take it over, neutralize it. And then guys would try to go again. That doesn't look as uh, interesting, even if the nuances and tactics within the race are still very complicated and, and, from a pure sort of cycling nerd perspective, there's plenty going on there, man. But as a casual spectator and as somebody like, it's just harder to read and understand.
0: Yeah. I completely understand that, that point of view. And I am with you. I think that the jury is still out, but right now I think it's still incredibly exciting to watch.
2: (laughs) That's good. man. That's, that's important to know that, that you're excited about it. I mean, that's the whole goal here, right? To to do something, to put on a show in a way that is 100% for the athletes uh, as far as course design and making them think and allowing team tactics to occur. And every athlete should come out of the race being like, man, that was hard and I am drained. But on the other side of the fence, the spectators should be like, that was super cool. I want to see it again. Um, those two things happening simultaneously are super hard to create. And that's the cool thing about a red hook crit event and, and even a mission crit event, right. Where there are spectators and athletes who both want it to continue. So, um, and you a know, part of that, I, I truly believe part of that is because the fixed year crit format, short, hard, no bullshit races and, the, you know, you're, you're on a track bike where you can't just flick through gears and recover. You, the decision you make in a paddock is the decision you live with. That is so, such a cool dynamic here.
0: Agreed. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you thought some of the biggest surprises were in the men's field. And again, like the same question as with the women, like some of the people that maybe had a bad day that you didn't, that you were expecting to see up there?
2: Yeah, honestly, it's, it's a little harder to stay in the men's field really. Um, Because there, there there's so many men that it's, you know, some guys who have a bad day, uh, maybe are filled in. And I think also the, the, the difference in fitness between a lot of these guys is really subtle. Um, so if anything, there were the surprises, um, just sort of that Colin Strickland component where a mechanical took him out on the first lap. So that's a huge deal, that changing that race dynamic, which we talked about earlier. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we were all see... so
0: interested to see how he was going to come back and like, you know overtaking yep. you know <laughs> so that was such a bummer yeah. that it was like a broken chain but that's bike racing
2: yeah absolutely I mean uh, there were some guys that got taken out in qualifying so uh, Martino Pochanti um, Pochanti was trying to talk to me a little bit right at the end of the women's race about how he had got involved in a crash in his qualifier heat and Uh, similar to Juliet Elliott, his equipment was damaged, so he didn't feel like it was safe for him to attempt the Another Chance race and then uh, get into the feature event. So that happened. Uh, Newcomer Michael Sheehan, who was Colin Strickland's teammate, uh, Sheehan looked actually really good in the qualifying heat, and then he was somehow involved in a really weird, sort of slow motion crash and turn nine right before the finish line and not exactly sure what happened. He, uh, there, but either way, he did not want to participate in the, another chance race. So we lost a guy with a lot of professional experience right away. The great story that we saw, you know, Hans Kilsberger and Safa and Evan Murphy, and then some other guys up there really trying to take it to, Um, the specialized
0: team. Gabe, thanks so much for coming on. We'll we'll talk to you after the next Red Hook.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Josh, thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate what you're doing for the sport as well. So keep rocking on, man.
0: All right, that does it for another episode of Save the Track Bike. Again, I'm your host, Josh. This podcast is sponsored by Hexagon Cycles, hexagoncycles.com. Go to savethetrackbike.com, click on store, go check out the merch. Fixgearcrit.com, shoutouts to them because they post all the episodes on their blog. And also that blog has so much news about all the fixed gear racing that's going on. The music is Slaggirl Girl by Vitamin Pets. Find me on Instagram at SaveTheTrackbike. Also, shout-outs to Tegan Cochran, who had a pretty gnarly crash at Red Hook. She seems to be in pretty good spirits, but I just wanted to say heal up, feel better. And and also, shout-outs to Evelyn Sifton, who got top 10 at Mission Crit and unfortunately got crashed out at Red Hook. But, yeah, she's killing it. I have episodes with both of them that you can go find on iTunes or Google Play or YouTube. See you next time.